Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, one and all, specifically to Philadelphia Eagles fans. If you catch that reference, good for you. This is the SB Nation NFL show. More specifically, this is Monday Football Monday. A reminder that this show is brought to you by our friends at DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That is code SBNFL only at DraftKings Sportsbook. If you are a fan of the NFL, then you will be a fan of us. Make sure to subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show wherever you get your podcasts, Apple devices, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. You can watch our show on the SB Nation NFL YouTube channel. Um, and with the rest of your time, you can do whatever you want. Uh, this is Monday Football Monday, the new and improved version. I was actually absent from it last week. As always, the incomparable Rachel Prevet is uh, keeping us alive behind the proverbial glass. My name is RJ Ochoa. And with me for the 2023 NFL season journey are the two best riders on the face of the earth, Mark Schofield and J.P. Acosta from SB Nation. Mark, um, neither of us are fans of the Philadelphia Eagles, but you wouldn't know it based on our first attempt at this whole thing. No, you wouldn't know it. Um, Eagles fans kind of recognize me and obviously Rochelle, Rochelle as well. You know, we did our you right. know QB Factory reboot show last season and past couple of seasons, which was a ton of fun. Um, so go birds, say it back. But pleasure to be here. Very excited about what we're going to dive into today. Very excited about the fact that I'm wearing the Alpine hat. Shout out to Esty Bestie and Pierre Gasly. Hopefully they're enjoying their summer shutdown. But we're excited to talk some ball today. That's right. JP, I think you are the... Um maybe the Pierre Gasly in the relationship if Mark is uh, Esteban Ocon. So, I, I mean, I hope that you take that as a compliment because that's how I intended it. I think it's a compliment. I think Pierre Gasly is kind of cool. But, yeah, I'm excited to be on again. I'm ha happy to be on with you guys. Got the Momo hat rocking today from one of the greatest cartoons of all time, Avatar The Last Airbender. So we're excited, excited to talk some ball. Um, so this is our second attempt at this week's episode of Monday Football Monday. It's Monday, August 7th, 2023. We were talking a moment ago about how the Hall of Fame game um, did just north of 6 million uh, viewers, which is stupid compared to the fact that the average NBA playoff game did 5.47 million. Uh, but I don't want to talk about that anymore. Mark, uh, on the subject of the Eagles, did you see Carson Wentz's most recent Instagram post? I actually wrote about it. Okay, I haven't seen JP this yet. Gave me yeah, JP gave me a fantastic hat headline for it. He basically said, you know, Carson Wentz's Mad Libs workout fit because it's incredible. He's got an Eagles helmet, a commander's jersey, and a Colts pair of shorts on. And you could take this in a positive light. You could look at it at the glass half full and say, hey, look, you know, he's an experienced quarterback. He's played for a number of NFL teams. But it's also a reminder that three NFL teams look to him as the savior and the answer to their quarterback problems. And those three teams moved on very quickly 
and in some stages almost immediately in the case of the Indianapolis Colts. And so it's a very interesting way to go about trying to get a job. It may work for them. You know, maybe some, you know, owner, position coach, somebody that's just bored decides, hey, you know, we still work it out. Maybe we should give him a call. Uh, but it is a questionable fit. Uh, I do wonder what message it ultimately sends. JP, as awkward as it is, I think it's the least possible or least awkward thing possible. Um, because it would be weirder if he if he did like the ensemble of one whole team, right? Like if he posted himself working on like in complete Eagles gear, complete commander's gear, complete cults gear, like you know, I mean, like I I mean I I, I sort of understand it. Like I mean, like we we've all like you know cut the yard in some weird clothes. Like that's that's Carson Wentz's version of this. True, but you don't post to Instagram that you're cutting the yard in the, the goofy clothes. So my thing is, like, if you got the matching set of one of each franchise, just wear the matching set. It's not it's not that hard unless they're just dirty and you just haven't washed them in a while. I don't I don't understand, man. Like Carson Wentz is a weird guy. I'm not going to say, like, I don't like him. He's just he's a weird guy. And I don't think that this is this is just a very weird ensemble fit just wear the matching set man it's it's not that hard it really isn't but you can also take it as like starting with the eagles helmet when he was actually good and then just consistently getting worse <laughs> but you know i think there's there's some symbolism there once upon i'm just glad that he didn't bust out the like jacket and fedora combo that he wore in a post-game press conference last right. year Do you remember that yeah it was like the camo jacket and we actually wrote about it like the different things that he looked like and he had this weird fedora on it, it was just a very 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 strange getup. i think jp's kind of nailed it he's just a different kind of cat like carson wentz is different you know once upon a time there were a lot of people who believed that he was better than dak prescott um and as the resident cowboys person around here i'm obligated to remind everybody of that fact um so um Good times. Anyway, uh, so um, th this is Monday, Football Monday. We do have a football game in the rearview mirror. We have a lot uh, right in front of us. This is the first official week of the preseason. Hard Knocks uh, re-enters our lives tomorrow on Tuesday. Um, training camps are happening all over the NFL. Uh, what we're going to do today is, um, I don't know that we settled on a name for this, but it was like 10 thoughts, 10 takeaways, 10 questions. I think they all are questions, I, uh, actually. but um, 10 questions could work. Yeah, 10 questions about the current landscape of the nfl um there we go so um mark uh why don't you shuffle through kind of you know and kind of you know spin the wheel and land on one um and offer us anyone you want any question um that's kind of percolating in your heart it doesn't have to be one from the list but just you know let us into the mind of mark schofield since you mentioned you're the resident cowboys expert here i want to start here will kellen moore truly lift the chargers offense to the great beyond JP, I think you should go first because I'm I'm a little biased. I have a lot of questions about Kellen Moore and how this fits in this entire Chargers offense. I feel like we we talked about this with uh R I talked about this with RJ a couple weeks ago. Whenever things went well for the Cowboys offense, it was Kellen Moore, and whenever things went bad for the Cowboys offense, it was Mike McCarthy. So I really do wonder, like, what is this offense going to look like? And at a very like micro level the offenses were kind of similar in terms of their issues between Joe Lombardi's Chargers offense and the Cowboys offense with Kellen Moore. They lacked explosiveness. It required a quarterback to make superhuman throws, which of course they can, but you don't, you don't want to have to make a superhuman throw every week. The only thing that set the two offenses apart was the Cowboys were just better in short yard situations. The Chargers were one of the worst teams in the NFL at running the ball 
or just even gaining yards in short short yard situations. It's why they lost to the Jaguars in the playoffs. You're hoping that maybe Kellen Moore can coax a little bit more out of Justin Herbert in terms of, I don't think he is a safe quarterback. I think he's more like, I, I guess he's a risk averse quarterback where he's going to try and get through one to two to three because of how quick he is as a processor and how accurate he, he is down there. It's just, like sometimes you can say, hey, I'm going to make this throw 30 yards downfield because I can. You're hoping that Kellen Moore can get that out of him, but there are still a lot of questions. I think the early returns from Chargers training camp are they're doing a lot more play action, a lot more vertical passes downfield, which is something I'm excited to see when it comes to the regular season. But I still do have a lot of questions. I think it's fair to say that C.D. Lamb is a better receiver than anybody Kellen Moore is currently Coaching, is that fair to say? Right, like the Chargers don't have a receiver that's of CD Lamb's caliber. Even if you disagree, like maybe it's a push, would it maybe it's kind of close, whatever. CD is important because I saw this tweet uh from John Owning, who I believe we're all fans of. Um, but um, so he found this uh, from Nate Jenkins fantasy profile on CD Lamb. Hitch routes have made up 17.9% of his targets in his career, and none of his other routes are above 13%. As a Cowboys fan, that made me hate life. Um, and that made me really just kind of hate everything. Um, and I don't mean to do the like scorned fan, like the dude who left my team sucks and was always terrible um, thing. Cause I think very highly of Kellen Moore. Uh, but I do think there are limitations to what he does. I think he is sort of trying to be a, a citizen of everything and therefore like a master of nothing. Um, and I think that that ultimately will inhibit. Um, Justin Herbert ceiling or whatever you want to call it. I think they'll be better, but I mean, the bar to clear there isn't that high mark. I mean, like, I, I just don't know that I I've, I've definitely lost a little bit of steam in the like Kellen Moore is like a boy wonder who's here to save the football world sort of belief. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm probably a little bit more optimistic on this than the two of you. you. And I think part of it stems from the fact that there was such frustration, like anybody that studied the Chargers the past couple of years was just banging their head against the table because Joe Lombardi, obviously a school from the Sean Payton West Coast offensive philosophy, more of a horizontal based offensive attack. Herbert was really asked a lot to like attack underneath horizontally, get the ball out quickly. And you have a quarterback with his arm talent and athleticism and ability to create explosive plays downfield with his arm. It felt like they were holding him back a bit. And then you're looking at Kellen Moore and say whatever you want about how that offense panned out. And RJ, you know this offense better than anybody, but just average depth of target, the difference between Dak last year and Herbert last year and in years prior, it's almost an entire yard, if not more. And so I think you're going to see, as JP alluded, JP alluded to, more verticality in this offense. I think that's where they need to be generate some explosive plays at the downfield passing game, lead into Herbert's strength, throwing the ball downfield, and the returns out of camp are, that's what they're doing. Right? They're pushing the ball downfield a lot more than we've seen in years past. Now, maybe it doesn't work, but the reason why I'm excited and more of a believer is because sitting down here every Monday after a Chargers game and seeing, you know, stick flat <laughs> – or stick, you know, Justin Herbert with his absolute arm talent throwing five-yard outs left and right. It's like, let the kid play. Let him go downfield. And I think we will see more of that. If it works, remains to be seen. But I'm optimistic that this is a better offense for him, at least on paper. So I do wonder, with Justin Herbert, I wonder how much of it was the offense and how much of it was kind of him. I feel like since he's been in the league, his average depth of target has gone down like a yard every year. 
And something that I've kind of noticed when watching the Chargers offense, especially last year, was he was starting to develop some scar tissue when it comes to getting hit all the time. And that's kind of a result of Rashawn Slater not being around and the offensive line just going through so much kind of they went through so much upheaval along the offensive line last year. They were starting seven different combinations of guys along the offensive line. So I think he starts to develop a little bit of scar tissue. And what I mean by that is he was getting the ball out so quickly because he did not want to get hit. He didn't want to get hit because he was playing with broken ribs for like a good majority of the season. And so I wonder, one, how will the offensive line being healthy kind of kind of coax Justin Herbert back into throwing the ball downfield? I also wonder how the receiving targets will help him kind of advance that because they drafted Quentin Johnston, but I don't think while Quentin Johnston is a good way to get more explosive, I don't think he is the explosive in terms of get downfield like vertical threat. I think he's going to start off on kind of the Christian Watson diet of routes where it is everything is along the X, Y axis. You're either running fast past people vertically or you're running like jet sweeps or running across the field because he doesn't really create much separation downfield. And he's also kind of iffy in terms of like body catching. So I wonder how the weapons that they have around Justin Herbert will kind of coax him out of this and kind of fix all the stuff that he's developed over the past year. We're like, yeah, he's really, really good at getting from one to two to three. He is a robot quarterback. He knows what he's doing those underneath areas. But with a guy, like Mark said, with a guy as talented as Justin Herbert, with an arm, as good as Justin Herbert's, you don't have to say like, oh, let me get from one to two to three and find this check down. You can say, hey, if one is maybe like a, it's a 1% kind of throw, but it's 40 yards down the field, I can make that throw. And I just, I just want to see him try it. Like that's the biggest thing. Yeah, I mean, I think the injury point is a big one because he had the fractured rib cartilage, which not a doctor. I don't know how that happens, but wow, that sounds really painful. And he had the shoulder injury as well, which required surgery in the offseason. He just didn't want to get hit. Like, and I can understand that. And I think with respect to the weapons, I think Joshua Palmer, uh, the reports out of camp are pretty excited about him. He might be, you know, him and Mike Williams, your two more downfield guys with Allen and Johnston, kind of your more underneath guys. So you've got explosive option up top, one of those guys underneath, and then let him create a little bit more instead of just, okay, now I'll check it down to Eckler and just get the ball out of my hands. Um, JP, you're one of the only people just now who I've ever heard offer the idea that maybe Justin Herbert is fallible, right? Like maybe, maybe something is Justin Herbert's fault. Um, so, and, and it's interesting cause you're right. Like Kellen Moore is this like, um, recipient of good praise. Like which one of them will be the fall guy, like between the two of them, uh, it's, it's definitely Kellen Moore, uh, you know, just yeah. to be clear. Yeah. Uh, but, um, that's interesting. Um, okay. We have nine more to get to. Um, so, you know, the over under on us is probably like seven and a half. And I, I think I would take the under at this point. Um, yeah. I think we might as well just stay local quickly. Cause I don't, I don't know. If there's a lot here, but, um, are the Rams already beginning to fall apart again? Um, I once posited here on Monday football Monday that nobody cared that the Rams won the Super Bowl two years ago. Like, like, did anybody like really feel passionately about that? Like, you know, like, like when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, I cared a lot, like in a negative way. Like it was very bothersome to me. Um, you know what I mean? But like, did anybody, did anybody like feel moved in any direction? No, like it was just, okay, that happened. Like it would have been such a more seismic thing for the NFL had the Bengals won that game. It's really my point. Um, but like, so Cooper cup is hurt. Um, the Rams already stink. They have like 4,000 rookies on their team. Um, like this, this just feels destined for something very, very terrible. Mark. 
Yeah, it does. And I mean, Sean McVay is already talking about a big roster reset. And, you know, he he said that he entertained the idea of retirement. But now he's sort of all in on turning this around. You know, you're seeing camp highlights of Stetson Bennett, which I think kind of speaks for itself when you talk about the state of the Rams right now. I mean, I don't know if if it's beginning to fall apart or if it already has. And the roster reset is here. We expect them to have a bad season this year. So, yeah, the Rams, they're in trouble. I'd be surprised if, you know, they even get close to 500, you know, given what the division they're in, who they're going to have to face, um, the plentitude of rookies that they're playing this year. It's going to be a struggle out there. I'm, I'm more curious to see if McVay sticks to his word and sticks around for this reset or if he decides, you know, in a couple of months from now, you know what? That nice job over at Fox or CBS or wherever sounds a little bit better than trying to rebuild this thing, this team around Stetson Bennett. JP, the over-under for the Rams is six and a half, according to our friends at DraftKings. I mean, the under feels very, very appealing. I'm hammering that under. This Rams team is probably not going to be good. It is – I think they started to fall apart as soon as they traded Jalen Ramsey. I mean, when you have a defense that – currently at this point is filled with a bunch of rookies and young guys and not only a bunch of rookies and young guys there are only three guys on this roster or on this defensive roster that were picked on the first two days of the NFL draft and that's including Aaron Donald who is one of it was arguably the greatest defensive player of this generation but outside of that you're you're playing a bunch of young guys a bunch of undrafted young guys who need who need more rep they in a perfect world these guys are depth or special teams guys, and they don't have to start right away. But this defense absolutely needs them to play right away for them to be competitive. And then if you look at the offensive side of the ball, they're still going through some offensive lineup people. Steve Avila is pretty much locked down the left guard spot, but they paid Rob Havens, not Rob Havenstein, Joe Noteboom, $40 million last year to lock down the left tackle spot, and he's rotating in and out with guys in the first team offense. It's not looking great. For that offensive line right now, Brian Allen had a terrible season last year under center. That's really going to be the important thing. Can you keep Matt Stafford upright long enough? Because he was getting destroyed last year. And at some point, like during this season, he, he might just be like, yeah, man, I don't need this anymore. I've already broken my body enough playing for Detroit and through last year of playing for the Rams. Maybe he just doesn't need this halfway through. So, yeah, this team is falling apart. I would hammer the under. They're going to be right in that QB race to me for the top two guys. And, and and the other thing is their schedule does them no favors. They get the AFC North, so you're getting four teams there that I think people are fairly excited about to varying degrees, you know, Bengals, Browns, Ravens, even the Steelers are a little bit exciting. And you get the NFC East, you know, which saw three teams make it to the playoffs last year. You're also getting the Packers in there. Like, that's when you get out of the West, when you get the two games against the Niners and the Seahawks, you get those teams to play. Six and a half seems like a Big reach for yeah. Me. I mean, um, looking at their schedule before the bye right now, like outside of their uh, division games, they play Cincinnati on the road. They're on the road at Indianapolis. They're at home against Philly. They're at home against Pittsburgh. Then they go to Dallas and to Green Bay. That's not a great schedule for a team that is starting a bunch of rookies no. and an offensive line that is highly suspect. Like this, this might bottom out real quickly. That week three. Um, game for the Rams, JP, is on Monday Night Football. That is going to stink. Um, that is the Rams visiting the probably Joe Burrowless, potentially Joe Burrowless, Cincinnati Bengals. So um, we'll get like four hours of Zach Taylor, Sean McVay fluff, um, and that will be all that there is to kind of go on that subject. I suppose that's a good segue, um, which is how bad will the Bengals start of the season be without Joe Burrow? 
Um, I guess, like, what's the point of demarcation? Like, what, what is the point of panic if Joe Burrow misses? So their first few games, the first, let's just kind of live in the first four weeks. Um, at Cleveland, Baltimore, the, the aforementioned Rams game, and at Tennessee. And let's throw week five in there at Arizona. Let's presume Joe Burrow's not there, Mark. How many of these games can the Bengals win? At Cleveland, Baltimore. So, and you start off 0-2, we hear all the things. I know it's different now with the 17th game, like the probabilities and stuff. Um, but those are two divisional losses, potentially. One at home. So at Cleveland, Baltimore, the Rams, at Titans, and at Arizona. What's the Bengals' record without Joe Burrow? I think I think they could still win three games there. I mean, the first two, you could, like you said, you probably start 0-2 if you don't have Burrow, like Cleveland, Baltimore. That's going to be tough. I think you can still run the well, – look, we just talked about the Rams and their struggles. Tennessee will be interesting. I know there's some, you know, growing excitement about what might happen in Tennessee this year. Maybe with Hopkins back, you see a rejuvenated Ryan Tannehill. I have to see that before I really buy in. And we expect Arizona to be in that QB mix as well. So I think there's three games that they could win. No, I think what's interesting, Jamar Chase spoke last week about how he told Joe, like, look, I don't need to see you week one. Like, we need you for the long run. Like, make sure you're good. Calf strain, I don't know. It's not like a high ankle sprain. It wasn't a knee thing. So I know there's concern that he might not be back right away. Maybe he's back sooner than we expect. But if he is out those first five, I think they could still win three of those games. JB. Yeah, I mean, I I expect them to win three of those games. Tennessee might get real weird because Tennessee is going to play hard and they're going to they have a great defense and they're always going to play teams tough because of that defense because of Mike Vrabel. But starting zero and two in a division that's going to be considerably better is not a great start for the Bengals. I think, especially with Cleveland looking a whole lot better potentially, the Ravens potentially looking really really good. Um, Starting 0-2 in the AFC North is going to be a problem for the Bengals in the long haul. So I think, yeah, they're going to win three of those games. Um, I would really start to panic. I would only really start to panic if they win, like, maybe one of them. Like, if they just bottom out through those first five weeks without Joe Burrow. I That's when I'd start to hit the panic button. But even then, if you can just get to – if you can even get to the bye week, because their bye week is week seven, you know, yeah. yeah, it's an early bye. Seattle game. If you can just get to the bye week through week six, if you can get to the bye week three and three, yeah, five hundred four and two with without Joe Burrow, then you're in a great spot. Well, you come out of that bye if you're the Bengals at San Francisco, Buffalo, Houston if they're plucky at Baltimore, Pitts. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, so you're right. Like, you almost kind of have to look at that. Like, we got to get there. If even if we're two and four, you know, that's yeah. when the season. Make sure he's ready to go after that bye. Yeah, right. I mean, he, you need him absolutely 100% for that next one, two, three, like those next six weeks. You need him 100% because you're not going to win those games. I mean, outside of Houston without Joe Burrow 100%. I don't know about that. I mean, you know, Houston's – look, Houston Houston has a, an inside training camp live presence on NFL Network. Like they are – they've grown in stature, all right? You know what I mean? Like people actually are paying attention to them um, this year, which is significant um jp why don't you spin the wheel what question um has your fancy all right i'm gonna go with a, a division that's kind of intriguing to me but for all the wrong reasons uh what if the saints are kind of good this year i've been thinking a lot about this nfc south and like you could really make a case to me for any of these teams winning the division but what if the saints are kind of good they're gonna have they're not gonna have alvin kamara for the first three games of the season but you know bringing in Derek carr you're thinking that you know They'll, they'll at least have okay quarterback play outside of what happened last year. Chris Olave is fantastic. And you still keep some of the bones around of that defense that still could be very good. So 
What if the Saints are kind of good? Yeah, this division fascinates me. I mean, JP, you and I and, and Ricky and James uh, were talking about how this is the most chaotic division in all of the NFL this season, I think. You know, because you're looking at, obviously, the Saints, Derek Carr, you're expecting to get at least steady, competent quarterback play. But then you look, Atlanta is fascinating because they have all these weapons, but we've got the Desmond Raider factor, and it's becoming a meme on social media that every training camp clip doesn't show who's throwing the ball and every pass is off target, and it just looks like that quarterback situation could be, a, let's just say, a bit unsettled. When you hear that Logan Woodside is the best QB in camp right now for Atlanta, you haven't heard that phrase since he was at Toledo when he was the best quarterback in camp for the Toledo Mudheads. And so that's going to be a big question. You know, you shift to the fascinating quarterback battle between Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. Like, that's just, you know, that was some pay-per-view for that because we need to see that. And then Carolina, I think, is going to be intriguing. Obviously, they just added Justin Houston. It seems like they feel pretty confident about their chances. But, again, you're getting a rookie quarterback there. So there's pure chaos in this division. So you look at New Orleans almost by default, given they've got at least somebody that's a more of a known quantity at the quarterback position, they should have the edge. But what if Bryce Young really figures it out? What if Desmond Ritter has been fooling us all along and he suddenly starts throwing darts and they unlock, you know, Kyle Pitts and Drake London is great. It would be John Robinson there spreading them out and use them in the vertical passing game. What if they're suddenly good? What if Baker Mayfield's massive chip on his shoulder actually pays off for him? It's a absolutely chaotic division. I, I think the Saints have the best shot right now. But, yeah, you tell me come November that one of these teams is in the lead and it's not New Orleans. Could be any of them. Do you both or either of you recall that last year Peter King um, in his, like, final football market in America before the regular season started predicted the Saints to be the one seed in the NFC? Do either of you remember this? I do remember Yeah, that, uh, do that remember. was a little bit startling. Um, so what I'm going to say is kind of along those lines, there's generally like a team that gets, you know, lasts a little bit, you know, longer than we would have anticipated undefeated. The 2021 Arizona Cardinals come to mind um, in that sense. So this is tennis, excuse me, New Orleans is schedule. Tennessee, certainly a winnable game at Carolina, which is on Monday Night Football at Green Bay. We have no idea what the Jordan Love experience will be like. Tampa Bay at New England. Sorry, Mark at Houston, Lord. Jacksonville at Indianapolis, Chicago at Minnesota before their week 11 bye. Like, it's not inconceivable to me that they could reach six, seven, eight, no. And then we're sitting here kind of like, how did this happen? Like, that is well within the realm of possibility in my mind. Yeah, I think looking at the Saints this year, one thing they're going to have is they're going to have a defense that's still going to be pretty good. You know, Cam Jordan's still around for the long haul. Demario Davis has kind of quickly become like underrated in terms of NFL circles. He's still a very fantastic middle linebacker. Marshawn Lattimore is still very good. I like their young young guys at DB, Paulson Adebo, Alante Taylor. Um, Chris Olave is a star in the making. I just, I just worry about what we're going to get from Derek Carr because we know what we're going, we know what we're going to get from Derek Carr. We're going to get at least okay quarterback play. But how do you have to just be okay in this division? Can you can you just be okay in this division? I think it's still kind of you, you got to wait and see because everything else is still relatively unknown. But I mean, with the Bucks, Kyle Trask is looking like QB one there, which doesn't look like a good sign. Um, the Panthers, I'm I personally think the Panthers are. Pro I think I want the Panthers to win a division. I think they have the. I think they have the tools necessary to win i still worry about kind of the receiving weapons but i like what they're doing on defense i like frank reich with bryce young um the falcons we've talked about the falcons offense ad nauseum about them hiding a quarterback like uh push a t accused drake of hiding a child um 
Also, uh, that defense might not be that great. You're still looking for a corner opposite of us. AJ Terrell, um, Jeff Okuda went down with an injury. I don't know how serious it is, but they're talking about kind of serious. So you're back to the drawing board on that one. But the Saints should, like with that schedule, they should be in contention for the division lead in the NFC South. They have enough talent to win that division. It's just, one, how good is... How good can Derek Carr elevate? How much can Derek Carr elevate that offense? And are we going to finally see a healthy Michael Thomas? Like that's a very, very big part of this puzzle, especially with Alvin Kamara missing the first three games of the season. Um, something I like to do. Obviously, this is about more than this, but you bring up Derek Carr. I love to look at the Cowboys schedule by opposing quarterback, um, and obviously, kind of like you know, how often do they have the quarterback advantage? Just again, kind of along these lines. So Derek Carr versus Ryan Tannehill. We uh, we give the edge to Derek Carr. Derek Carr versus Bryce Young in 2023, week two, right? We're giving the edge to Derek Carr. Derek Carr against Jordan Love. We're giving the edge to Derek Carr. Derek Carr, Kyle Trask, I suppose. Derek Carr, Mac Jones, maybe. I mean, possibly, potentially. Like, you never know. Derek Carr, CJ Stroud. You know what I mean? Like, again, I mean, you're talking about the first six weeks of the season. The Saints have the better quarterback on the field. Like, that's, I mean, the, you know, it'll be interesting. I mean, especially once Alvin Kamara gets back, et cetera, et cetera. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun. But it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Um, Mark, take us in the direction that your heart feels the most strongly. I, I still can't figure out this team. I'm, I'm very curious about the Vikings. Have we written them off too soon? Or is it this is the time to write them off? What has happened in Minnesota? Do we like Kirk Cousins now because of the quarterback series? Because I've watched it and I kind of feel like I like him a little bit more. He just seems kind of like an everyday dad. And maybe that's, you know, the dad side of me. That's like, oh, he just seems like he wants to sit by the fire and, and think deep thoughts about life while the family's in bed. I get it. What do, How do we feel about the Vikings right now? Um. 
I think the offense is going to be fine still. I think they're still going through a little bit of questions along the interior offensive line. Their tackles are phenomenal. Christian Darisaw very quietly had a great uh, last season. Uh, we all know about Justin Jefferson. I think Jordan Addison is going to kill it next to Jeff Justin Jefferson as a wide receiver too. One thing that I kind of appreciate about Kirk Cousins watching him again last year and going back and watching film on him is he is tough as hell, man. He he is going to stand in there and make throws. That's something that I think Kevin O'Connell's brought out of him. The aggressive the aggression, throwing the ball downfield, and the toughness to kind of stand in against pressure. Because there were games where he's just getting folded and he's getting right back up. It's something they talked about in quarter in the quarterback series. But that defense looks really, really bad on paper. I mean, you are still looking at Makai Blackman, who was their third round rookie. He's probably going to start at outside corner. Um, you have you have a lot of holes out on the secondary, and you're and not only that, you're bringing in Brian Flores, who is a completely different philosophical coordinator than the old defensive coordinator who got fired because he wouldn't blitz enough, and that defense was really bad. So that philosophical scheme change is going to hurt them through the first few weeks of the season. But I also just wonder: is this defense good enough for them to actually contend? This year, I don't think it is. So I'm still on the I don't think they're going to be good this year, but they're going to be feisty because that offense is still going to be fine. I do think it's a little bit too vogue to hate on the Vikings. I thought that all season long. Now, to be very clear in the in the interest of full disclosure, even though I know you both listened to every Monday football Monday last year. Every single yeah, one. I know. Um, I picked uh, the Vikings to win the NFC. And so, like, I felt pretty, you know, pretty solid all season long. I picked Kirk Cousins to an MVP. And my thought process was Justin Jefferson is going to light the world on fire. He won Offensive Player of the Year, so I felt justified in that. And generally speaking, MVP is a quarterback, you know, sort of award. Kirk would get the kind of bump and benefit from that. You also kind of like, you know, there, there tends to be like MVP fatigue. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes defied that, like he does everything else, but et cetera, et cetera. So I believe in the Vikings a little bit more than most people. They currently, according to our friends at DraftKings, have the seventh longest odds to win the NFC. Again, I think that's just a little bit disrespectful. And if we look at the odds to win the NFC North specifically, the Lions currently at plus 140, the Vikings at plus 275. So, like, to answer the question, like, the disparity there is is not justified to me. Like, I mean, like, I understand that, like, all the one possession wins and all the things and the point differential and all the memes that we heard and saw last year. But, like, this is still, I mean, Ke like, Kevin O'Connell got no love. And Kirk even brought it up in the show, Mark. Like, Kevin O'Connell wasn't even on the ballot for Coach of the Year last year. Like, we freaked out because Brian Dable took the Giants to the play. And I understand that, you know, Kevin O'Connell's Vikings lost to them. But, like. They have a very solid and aggressive head coach. They have arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL. They have a very capable quarterback. They have a defense that is seemingly going to be improved just be, you know, by the like manner of regression to the mean. Like Again, I, I think it's, we, we have gone too far with the criticism of who they were in 2022. Yeah, I, I think part of that, though, is the excitement over the Detroit Lions, which is something I'm certainly guilty of. I mean, last year, going into the season, I thought, hey, you know, when we get to the holiday season and you're seeing – you know, the playoff pitcher graphics before every game on Fox and on CBS, you'll see Detroit Lions in the hunt at the bottom and that'll be a great year for them. And they were in until the very end. And I think they've had a very intriguing off season. I know people look at, Oh, you drafted a linebacker, a tight end, a running back. Like it's just 1985, but I think it fits with what they want to be just, you know, philosophically as well as schematically. There's a lot of love for the Detroit Lions right, right now. And I, I think, an offshoot of that is people are looking at the Vikings and saying, well, you know, that defense, as JP pointed out, is going to have a lot of question marks and going through a big philosophical change. Kirk Cousins, yes, he's nice. He's endearing. 
I think O'Connell did a great job turning him into more of an artist than a robot, which is, I think is a way, great way of looking at the quarterback position. I once sort of said that, you know, Baker versus chef, you know, right. Chefs can be a bit more creative. Bakers are just by the numbers following the recipe. That's where cousins was. They're trying to get him to be more creative. And I think that's done a good job of sort of getting more out of him, but there are still a lot of questions and a lot of love for the lions. And as a result, I think that's the reason we're seeing these kinds of odds going into the year. Mm. He's like Marcus the baker in the like the show chef um or, yeah. or bear I guess but about the chef yeah. um so which we watched the second to last episode of season 2 last night oh my god that is such a great So you haven't finished it No we we just got the finale from season 2 Okay for the the, the Christmas episode holy crap yeah, that is that is holiday canon right now. Okay, yeah. like every holiday season, it's you know the Charlie Brown Christmas special. It's gonna be the Ted Lasso Christmas right. episode, and then that one. Because and as I told uh, everybody over at uh, over at uh, dot com, like that brought back some memories growing up in an Italian family. I'll just say that. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, uh, enjoy the finale. That's all I'll say for you, Mark. No spoilers though. Excellent. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Uh, JP, any final thoughts on the Vikings or I guess season two of the Bear? Um. The Vikings are just a very, very weird team to me. I, I, I don't have a lot of faith in this defense, at least not right now, with the upheaval they have at the cornerback spot, which, of course, like you're playing in the NFC North, which might not be the biggest problem of not having corners. But if you look at the schedule, you know, they're playing Tampa Bay at home. Then they go to Philly. Then they have the Chargers then Carolina on the road, then Kansas City. They play Chicago twice before the bye. They play Green Bay, Atlanta, New Orleans, Denver. I mean, it's winnable, but it's also like with this Vikings team, you never know. And with all the one-score wins they had last year, you're kind of thinking like, hey, you're not going to win all those one-score games last year. Like something has to give. They were one of the highest variance teams, according to Football Outsiders, last year. I just just don't know. I don't think this team is going to be good, but I think they're going to be – I think the whole aspect of Kwesi Adolfo Mensah saying competitive rebuild, they are going to be a competitive rebuilding team. They're not going to be bad enough to be in the quarterback draw, which might hurt them in the long run, but they're not going to be, they're not going to be good enough to be like, Oh, we're Super Bowl contenders and we're picking in like the late twenties. Bring it up. One last point here. Do we think Trey Lance ends up in Minnesota? I keep coming back to this idea. I mean, like this year? Is that what you're saying? Like like as a trade for the future. Because like JP said, like they're probably not going to be in a position to take a Caleb Williams or Drake May. Like there will inevitably be some sort of quarterback riser, Bonex, Michael Penix Jr., like somebody like that, that you might be able to get, say, mid-first round, late-first round if that's where they end up in the draft. Do they take a flyer on a trade Lance trade? Because it looks like Purdy's going to be the guy. Sam Darnold will be number two, whatever. That's what Kyle Shannon's going to want to do. Is that where he ends up? Does he become sort of Kevin O'Connell's next project? I mean, with the way it's looking right now, I I just think if Trey Lance is QB three, then we have some serious issues. But yeah, I if it if it comes down to it, then yeah, he'll probably end up on the Vikings by ne- by next year because Kirk Cousins is in the last year of that contract with the Vikings. I don't think I think this will probably be the last year of the Vikings Kirk Cousins era. So they got to figure something out, or else you're going to be riding that quarterback purgatory wheel during the prime of Justin Jefferson's career, which you don't really want to yeah. do. So it's probably um, interesting to do that. 
presuming there is no Justin Jefferson deal in place by then. Like maybe Justin Jefferson gets fed up. Like I want out, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, if we're really living in all, you know, hypotheticals, um, but you know, there's no pen on that paper yeah, or no ink on that paper, I guess. But I, I mean, I guess to answer the question, but not answer it, Mark, I am more confident that cousins is the next 49ers quarterback than I am. Like, I think that maybe that union finally happens um, as a, yeah, as a you know, happen. like given, especially what, what JP just outlined with cousins is in the, in the trajectory in Minnesota this year i guess we might as well um knock this one out uh one of the other questions we had was who is the 49ers quarterback um obviously trey lance isn't in the mix for that um but do we believe in purdy do we are we buying the sam donald thing like does it matter i mean like jp i know you brought this up recently on monday football monday but like i like we're several weeks into training camp and i i feel like i don't have any more like level of knowledge or you know peace in in an answer than i did you know at that point in time don't gaslight me into thinking that sam donald's gonna be a thing Please do not do that to me this year. I will not allow for Kyle Shanahan to hit me with the Sam Darnold play action. Don't don't talk me into him being a real thing. He's not good. Do not do that to me. Of course, he's going to end up like playing against the Cardinals because everybody gets hurt and he throws for like 400 yards and people are just going to come back to this. Be like, oh, Sam Darnold might be good. But no, we're not doing this. Um, I just think the way that they've handled this situation has been very, very weird. And like it's also been kind of dumb. To me, because, and also it also kind of ties into the Cole Kirk Cousins Niners thing, which like I get, like I understand, but I also think Kyle Shanahan wants to be done with having quarterbacks that you have to control and user like you're playing Madden. You know, I think, I think with drafting Trey Lance and with his thoughts, I remember in like 2020 when they played the Bills and Josh Allen destroyed the Niners. He was like, yeah, we need to get a quarterback like that. So he went out and got Trey Lance. It would be kind of revisionist. It'd be kind of dumb to go back and be like, hey, instead of trying to get a guy who can do all this stuff, let's go get Kirk Cousins, who's going to be 36, 37 years old and can't do all that stuff instead of Trey Lance. I understand the... I understand the kind of the holdup with Trey Lance is he just doesn't have a lot of reps. But my entire thought process was during this quarterback battle, Trey Lance should win because he is the better quarterback. He is a more physically talented quarterback. If he wins, that's why he won the job. And we also really haven't seen him with Christian McCaffrey in that offense. If he doesn't win, then yeah, we're, we're going to have a little bit of issues. But with Brock Purdy, you just know that you have a guy that you don't have to like, you know, you have a guy who can run that offense. You know, you have a guy who can at least find the open man. You're not stuck with Josh Johnson in the NFC championship game. Respect to Josh Johnson. But it's just so weird how this entire quarterback battle has kind of played out and how quiet it's been. Because you normally don't hear that. You normally don't have this kind of silence around a quarterback competition that is important as a one on the, on a Niners team where, this could make or break their season. If you pick the right guy, they are a Super Bowl favorite. But if it doesn't work out, you're in the same spot as you were for the past four years. Yeah, I mean, I think they're like they've almost built a, a, a an offense personnel wise that's like QB agnostic, and and we've seen this. You know, we we saw it. They were able to have success with Jimmy Garoppolo. They were able to have success and limited you know, starts with Trey Lance and they certainly had success with Brock Purdy until he went down. And I think that the, given what they've built, the idea is probably, okay. At one point we wanted a guy like Trey Lance. We wanted that, our own version of Josh Allen. 
But with McCaffrey now in the fold and what we've got, we don't need that just yet. And so we can ride with Brock, Brock Purdy. We can sort of just keep it as it goes, let him get touchdown, check down looks, and we'll be fine. And that will probably be enough in the NFC West. I don't know. I kind of like Seattle, but that might be enough in the West. That might be enough to make a deep run in the NFC. And then who knows? I, I think that's kind of their approach right now. As much as I loved Trey Lance going to the Niners, I thought it was the perfect fit. I thought he was going to unlock portions of Shanahan's playbook that he didn't have with a more athletic mobile quarterback. Now suddenly those boot action designs are a little bit different when you're that curl flat defender and you've got Trey Lance rolling your way and you've got two receivers deeper than you. Now you might have to come downhill and tackle them. Like it's a lot different him running that offense as opposed to Purdy Garoppolo, but it just hasn't worked. So that gives them maybe it's revisionist history of some sense, but it Purdy gives them an option that runs their offense, keeps them on schedule, and that's what they want right now. Um, maybe I'm just like scarred. Um, you know, given my team has has had their season end at the hands of this team, like regardless of who the quarterback has been, um, in each of the last two years, but like and I don't say this in like a rude or negligent way, but like I almost don't care like who they're like, you know, like this. It's really hard for me to like develop a passionate take on this because like it really doesn't matter. Um, that's that's kind of like where I've landed on this, which is depressing. yeah. And that might get to why there that might get to why there's not like national buzz about this battle. Right. Like you go on the 49ers Twitter and it's open warfare over there. I mean, you've got your Purdy stands, you got your Lance stands, you got like one or two Sam Darnold people. Maybe those are burners. I don't know, <laughs> but they're certainly fighting about it. It's just on a national level. It's like, whether it's Purdy, whether it's Lance, whether it's Darnold, it's like that offense is probably going to be pretty good given Debo, given Kittle, given McCaffrey, given what they have around the quarterback position. It's going to be good regardless of who's taking the snap. Well, I do think mm. that the quarterback spot does matter because we've seen this Niners team fall apart in the biggest moments where the quarterback has been important. We've, we saw Jimmy G completely fall apart in a Super Bowl and in the NFC Championship game against the Rams. You need – I understand how much this – Did he fall apart in the title game against the Rams or did Jaquiski Tart drop an interception? He did. He did kind of fall. He did kind of fall apart. I don't – and, I mean, he made the throw in the Super Bowl, I mean, to a degree, right? Like, I mean, like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm saying, like, I wouldn't give him an F grade for those two performances, that's all. Sure, but when you're going up against – a Matt Stafford at that who at that time was playing like sure. the best quarterback in the league and Patrick yeah. Mahomes, you cannot have a guy who you have to consistently create these massive wide opening margins for errors. It I just think Kyle Shanahan, who he has shown he can do that, but I don't know if he wants to consistently do that. You know, you don't want to you don't want to consistently try and create open windows for every quarterback like massive wide open windows for every quarterback. I think that's why Sean McVay went out and got Matt Stafford. You want a guy who you don't have to NPC like Madden generate control. You, that's why, you, again, that's why you go get Trey Lance. And I still, I still believe in Trey Lance. I think he will elevate the offense in a way that I don't think Brock Purdy or Sam Darnold can, but it's just a very, very odd situation with what's going on in San Francisco, just by the sheer silence coming from him. There's a sick level of like masochism to Kyle Shanahan. It's almost like like he has the really broken down like TV that's like, no, you just have to do this. Like you have to do all that. And somebody's like, dude, just get like the new one. You know what I mean? Like one button. He's like, no, I don't want it. But um, okay, it's kind of the last lame one. Um, this wasn't was admittedly lame. Um, I have no problem admitting that. But I wasn't here last week when you guys were. Um, I definitely listened. Um, definitely uh, in Mark's uh, tone. 
Um, do we really believe in the feud brewing between the Jets and Broncos? I, like, is this like a real thing? Like, I, I know we're always quick to be like, I love this. It's so cool. It reminds me of when we were younger. And like, I know WWE, whatever. I'm not a WWE person. Like, I'm not, I don't have like a problem with it. But like, I just, I'm not passionate about it. Like, like are, are we really buying this? Are we really like, oh man, I can't wait till week five. Like, it was cool for five minutes. And then like, I feel like the buzz around it kind of dissipated. I may be alone. I, yeah. I mean, uh, I'll go first. That's kind of where I am on it. Like yeah. it was cool for the first like five minutes. Right? <laughs> it, it was cool when like Peyton like ran his mouth and the Jets fired back. And then like we talked about last week, get yourself a friend like Aaron Rodgers, man. Because if, if he's going ride or die for Nathaniel Hackett, like he'll go ride and die for everybody. So you need to get a friend like that. But it's kind of worn off. Like it's not like they're, you know, divisional rivals. They'll play week five. It'll be fun. I'm sure it'll be the national game of the week, but I'm kind of over it. I get a feeling, though, JP is really excited. About I'm it. here for the negativity. I want this to be a <laughs> We need more haters in the NFL. We, like I said, like we said last week, we need, we need a villain. We need a rivalry to get invested in. And, of course, the Jets and Broncos won't play in the, in the same – they won't play twice every year. But this has been something you can constantly build up to. I do think it's very dumb that Nathaniel Hackett uh, mentioned a coach code. Like, sound, it sounds very much like unwritten rules, which all of the unwritten rules absolutely suck. But it's just, it's just funny. I think it's, I think it's great that the, that there's this team who have beef with each other and they're going to play Week Five. I think it's great that you can say all this stuff and then you have to actually go back it up. You know, I think somebody needs to get hit hit across the head with a chair. I think I think that has to happen. I think so. I think Robert Sala needs to take a folding chair and just straight up throw it at Sean Payton. Like as soon as like pregame, you need to just run up, wham, right across the head, ECW style. Just go straight. Just get straight to the negativity. We need we need to set the tone. And I think it. I think it's fun. I think it's great that this feud is kind of brewing because, like I said, we need like. Like Tom Brady's out of the league. We need somebody who we who we can hate. Um, I think if I have to like boil down what feels awkward or misplaced to me is like, and I say this with no disrespect intended, like Robert Sala feels like he's out of place to me. Like Sean Payton, Aaron Rodgers, you want to talk beef with one another? Fine, by all means. Like you've accomplished a lot in this league. Like I've got my feelings about both of you in different ways. Uh, but like you guys want to fight, let's go. Two heavyweights to your point, JP. But like Robert Sala is this like really unaccomplished, you know, kind of piece in that mix. And he's also really cheesy. Like, I hate the all gas, no break stuff. Like, and it's gonna like that's gonna be beat over our heads with a chair, you know, every Tuesday for the next five weeks. Like, so I, I just like I'm I can't get invested in the Robert Sala element of this, and he was a big part of it all. See, I think of it the other way. I'm not too invested in Aaron Rodgers saying, keep my coach's name out your mouth. Because what are you going to do? What are you, what is Aaron Rodgers saying? What is anyone going to do? Oh, I'm, I'm going to make sure we win the game. Oh no, please. No, please. God. No. Oh no. Again, somebody's got to get hit with a chair. Somebody's got to, somebody's got to fight. That's I hope, I hope it lives up to the hype. Like I really hope that like, I remember, you know, like in 2014, like when the Cowboys went to Philly, like Des Bryant was like jawing with like Nolan Carroll before the game. Like that was awesome. Like, so if it's like that, JP, or like when the, when the, the Saints actually went to Seattle for that 2013 divisional game and it was like super windy, like there was a lot of trash talking there. I, if, if it lives up to that hype, by all means, but like these things generally fizzle out, which I think is why Mike, Mark and I feel the way that we do. I think it's, I think it might fizzle out mainly just because it involves the quarterback and quarterbacks are fight averse. That's that's the way I'll put it. I'm not going to say they can't fight because maybe some quarterbacks can fight. 
Aaron Rodgers specifically cannot fight, but he could just be like conflict averse, which I don't know if how much of that is true based on how Aaron Rodgers has dealt with it. Yeah, he doesn't seem he conflict does. adverse. Not, I think physical confrontation yeah, adverse, but not conflict. He is fight adverse. averse. So I don't know if he yeah. will be willing to take the fight to Sean Payton. Sean Payton fights dirty, though. Sean Payton is absolutely going to shake Robert Sala's hand, and he's got the little uh the little uh shocker thing on his hand. Little, little buzzer. Over, yeah. And it'll give him, a, give him a little jolt. You know, maybe he'll like put a sign on Nate Hackett's uh back when he's going up to the uh press box to call plays that says kick me or something. You know, it's it, like a whoopee like, cushion. Yeah. Yeah, like a little, uh, little pink cushion. Okay. Yeah, because that game's in Denver. I mean, they'll have home he'll have home field advantage there. I also thought the idea that people were like, and this doesn't bother me the way you're both going to think of this, but the people were like, oh, put this game on Sunday night football. Um, the Cowboys visited the 49ers that week on Sunday night football. So first of all, like never happening. But the reason it bothers me is like, no, like if you want more people to watch this, like to Mark's point, leave it in the afternoon. Like you want the biggest stage yeah. possible, put it in the afternoon on CBS. Like that's when everyone wants to watch it. It's it's already in that right. afternoon time slot to begin with. I don't think they're going to give it up. I mean, I think CBS is going to be like, no, no, no. We want this game because we can get a, an entire week's worth of Rodgers, Peyton, Salah fighting over Nathaniel Hackett. <laughs> like. Which again, they're part fighting of, over the thing. The funniest part of this is that they're fighting over a guy who had the worst offense in the NFL last year. Like they were legitimately yeah. last in points per game. They had so many penalties before the snap. It's just you are defending a guy who objectively was not good at his job. He still might not be good at his job because they're putting him up in the press box to call plays instead of having him down on the field next to his best friend. That seems very yeah, cool. and and they're going through a middleman like Todd Dowden is gonna then relay the plays into Rogers. It makes me wonder like, is he gonna have like veto power? Like if Hackett calls down a play and it's like it's just bad and they don't want to run it, he's gonna just change oh, it. Like that just all seems weird that's to bad. me. And Salah's saying no, no, no. A lot of teams do it this way. Really? That's, that's CJP like. Nah, this is all dumb. Like everything, every like every step that both these organizations have taken is also so like annoying that like it's difficult to be like, oh, this is cool. You know what I mean? Like it's just, you know. I think it's perfect whatever. because at this point, like week five, we could be headed towards a train wreck for both teams. Like the Jets, like looking at the Jets schedule, I, it's real tough. Schedule. I'm with you. If, if one, if one of them can deliver the kill shot to the other, I would find that entertaining. You know what I mean? Like by like like knock one of them to one and four. Like that would be awesome. But like well, okay. as it stands yeah. right the now, the Jets leave Denver one and four. Man, we're well, gonna have content for days then, after that, that. That Jet schedule is very no joke. Like through the um, okay, weeks. so we have three left, but we're gonna put two of these together. If if I mean these make sense together, um, so I'd like you both to answer them at the same time. Who is the team with obvious regression hiding in plain sight? And who is the team with obvious growth hiding in plain sight? Um, so this would hopefully be a little bit unique. Like, you know, nobody wants to be like, oh, the Vikings are going to regress. Like, again, we, we want a little bit more unique thinking here on the new and improved Monday Football Monday. So obvious contender that no one's like, like in November, we're going to be like, oh, that was really obvious. Like, we didn't really pay that much attention to them. An obvious regression candidate. They were like, yeah, we should have really seen that coming. We gassed them up for no reason. Um, I don't know if either one of you is feeling particularly bold. If you would like me to buy you some time and go first, because I am prepared. Okay, you go, go for it. Okay. I have done my fair share of hating on this team. Um, Rachelle knows because she does listen to every episode because she's wonderful. Um, the obvious regression candidate to me, the Buffalo Bills. Like, And nobody wants to admit it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to say it. The Bills are the darling and smashing tables. That's all. That's all people want to talk about with the Bills. They have, they have arrived in terms of being spoken about. 
for the first time in a quarter century. So congratulations to the mafia in that sense. It is going to be like, the, I, they'll be like three and four. And, we'll be, and people will be like, what happened? What's going on? I don't know. They didn't add any explosive playmakers. They were down. They had Stefan Diggs and they drafted Dalton Kincaid. And they thought that would solve everything. Um, so the Bills to me, I, and look, people like freak out when a head coach takes over play calling duties. And obviously I'm sensitive to that. Oh, Mike McCarthy's taking over the offense. What's going on? Sean McDermott took over the defensive play calling and nobody really cares. Like Nobody's like panicked about the Bills defense in that respect. So the Bills, the obvious regression candidate to me, uh, that nobody wants to talk about. I'm going to be a little bit more bold on the other side of the spectrum, the positive side. Um, the Packers. Uh, like, I, I do think we have, like, completely written them off. I'm not willing to, like, fully believe in Matt LaFleur, but I think that there are enough things happening that, I like, I could see them being competitive. I could see them being, like, the seventh seed. Um, and in that respect, you are a contender. Right? If you're a playoff team, you're you're a contender by the very definition of the word. Um, so I think the Packers, people are so quick to write off because Aaron Rodgers, blah, 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 blah. So those are my two answers, and um, I'll fight anybody who disagrees with them. Chair style. Okay, so my team with obvious regression is the team we talked about. I'm going to go with the Chargers. I still have a lot of questions about what Kellen Moore is going to bring for this offense. I have a lot of questions about how explosive the offense is going to be with that personnel. And then we haven't even talked about a defense who, uh, last time I checked, is the worst run defense in the NFL which is coming at a time when teams are starting to get more into heavier personnel and running the ball more. It's not great to have a team that gives up six yards a carry. Um, they're also, I just worry about their depth, man. It's always going to be a thing with the Chargers that there's going to be one catastrophic injury, but I really do worry about that depth on the team. You're asking JC Jackson, who's coming off a torn, or it was either a torn patella or like a broken kneecap or something. You're asking him to come back and immediately juice back up that path, that secondary. Asante Samuel Jr. right now is kind of without a position because Jasir Taylor has taken over in the nickel. Um, you're still a Khalil Mack or Joey Bosa injury away from potentially not being that great along a defensive line. And you're asking Eric Kendricks to make a massive change in that, de- in that defense who you kind of learned along the point of last season with the Chargers defense they asked their nickels and linebackers to do a lot in the run game. When you have a 200-pound nickel going up against a 300-pound guard pulling, I know who I'm going to take in that challenge. So you're asking Eric Kendricks to do a lot of covering up for a de- for that defense, especially in the middle. Kenneth Murray's still not that great. So I just I really do think they're not going to be as good as like general consensus. You know, we're all like, oh, this might be the Chargers year, but I don't know. But the team that I think is going to be a little better than people think are the Houston Texans. I don't know if they're Good going call. they're not going to be like playoff contenders, but a lot of consensus after the draft was, oh, the Cardinals are going to have picks one and two in uh, next year's NFL draft. And I just don't think that's going to be a thing because the Texans have a very like quietly a good a good roster. You know, if you know, if Bobby Slowick brings the San Francisco style of offense to Houston, I think that's an offense that fits what C.J. Stroud can do really well. You know, he is a, an extreme pocket passer. He can he's a great processor to the second and third levels of the field. I really kind of like the receiving core. I like Nico Collins. John Mechie coming back healthy is going to do great for them. But that defense has potential to be really, really fun. Uh, Jalen Petre, safety, going to be a breakout guy this year. So is Derek Stingley, who amongst all the sauce hype last year, Derek Stingley was good, right. and healthy. 
And Will Anderson, from all early reports, is dominating camp, which you expect from a guy like Will Anderson, who I think is probably the shoe-in favorite to be defensive rookie of the year. So I really do think that the Texans are going to be a lot better than people think. And they also have a really, really good tackle duo. Laramie Tunzel was borderline, if not, he was an all-pro last year. Titus Howard played very, very well last year. You're hoping to get some improvement along the interior with Shaq Mason coming over and Kenyon Green being in year two now. But I think the Texans are going to be good. Or not, they're not going to be playoff good, but they're going to be competitive good. Uh, just quickly, JP, um, happening right now as you were speaking, um, Titus Howard, uh, head coach D'Amico Ryans, announced Howard has a hand injury that is going to keep him out for a while. Where Ryans is, exactly. oh, that's great. So, that is- uh, kiss of death from <laughs> from JP Acosta. Uh, like like literally scrolling my timeline as you're gassing him up. So um, well done. Just impeccable timing. Could not thank D'Amico uh, Ryans more. Mark, um, your two picks, and also um, which ones of ours you agreed with or disagreed with the most? I actually agree with all of them. I mean, I, I think those were all well-reasoned, well-argued, very well done, both of you fine gentlemen. Um, a, a regression candidate, I'm watching New York Giants. I, I know there have been some people that said, hey, you know, Giants could make a run. They could, you know, they're a year ahead of schedule and made the playoffs last year. I don't know. I want to see what year two Brian Dable looks like. I want to see how defenses adjust to what they did schematically with Daniel Jones. What's that passing game really going to look like? I know there's a lot of excitement about Jalen Hyde. He looks fast, and that's great, and that's one of them some one-on-ones. Is that going to translate, you know, to actual NFL games, you know, when it's not just a one-on-one, when a you know, defender doesn't have help, has no leverage or anything like that? What's the Saquon Barkley follow-up going to be? Because I am wondering about that, too. And they get a tougher schedule this year, obviously, than the schedule they had a year prior. They get the AFC East. You know, you're going to have some tough games along the road there. So I don't know. I'm a little bit worried about the Giants. You know, a team that I'm sort of excited about, you know, a team that I think might make a little bit better run, and this is another division that fascinates me, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mike Tomlin, I love Mike Tomlin, big fan of him. I think, you know, JP talked about, you know, we're going to see a return to bigger personnel packages. I think they're going to be at the forefront of that. I expect them to be heavy 12 personnel. A lot of Allen Robinson and George Pickens on the outside. A lot of Pat Fryermuth and Darnell Washington on the inside. Washington looks fantastic in camp. Kenny Pickens is catching everything. I mean, not Kenny Pickett. George Pickett is catching everything. Kenny Pickett, year two, is going to be fun to watch. That defense is going to be great, particularly up front. I think Joey Porter having to go up against Pickens almost every single day in camp is going to make him much better once the season gets rolling. I don't know if they're going to have enough to win the division, but, hey, let's say that Burrow's out for a while. Let's say that Deshaun still not quite getting acclimated to that offense under Kevin Stefanski. Maybe the Baltimore Ravens struggle a little bit. I'm very intrigued by the Pittsburgh State. Did you see uh, Kendrick Green taking snaps at fullback and like crushing it? That is my new dream for the Steelers. Put Kendrick yeah. Green at fullback, throw him passes. They saw Pat Ricard just completely dominate the division of 300. Yeah. I, I think they're going to be fun, man. Okay. Well, congratulations then to the uh, Green Bay Packers, Houston Texans, and Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, T's and P's for the Buffalo Bills, the LA Chargers, and the New York Giants. Um, that was well done and well reasoned. Um, our final question, gentlemen, before Rachel hands out the coveted MFW MVP, um, is Patrick Mahomes just like inevitable? Like, did we have like, are we doing all this for nothing? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, are we just wasting yeah. time? I yeah, mean, really much. Like, yep. yeah, <laughs> yeah, feels that way. I mean, look, we learned in the past month or so that there are aliens out there. 
Like there was literally a congressional <laughs> hearing that they're aliens, and they've been walking among us. And Patrick Mahomes is at the top of that list. He was sent here to amaze and wow us, and he's just inevitable. And yeah, he's like a scroll, right? Craziest yeah. thing about Patrick Mahomes to me still is when he first like had that first MVP season throwing fifty touchdowns. It was all touchdown or checkdown. It was very much a feast or famine, long th- deep passing offense. They turned that into the most efficient offense we've ever seen underneath. And Patrick Mahomes just has become a buzzsaw in the short to intermediate areas of the field in five years. Not even like five years. They instantly flipped that. Like after the loss to the uh, Bengals in the AFC title game, they flipped that in an instant. They traded Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes just got better. I think a lot of what is underrated about Patrick Mahomes is how quick of a processor he is along with the arm strength, the ability to throw passes behind his back that are somehow accurate. I still think if he does that in a game, I'm just going, I'm going to throw something. Like, I don't know what, yeah. I'm not going to, I don't know what, I don't know where I'm going to throw. I'm just going to throw something. But yeah, Chiefs games are games you watch when your phone is across the room because just for that moment, just for that potential of him doing a behind the back pass and you're just like, I can't believe this guy. And you chuck what him. do you even say as a defensive coordinator if a quarterback throws a behind-the-back pass that actually works? Like, what do you tell your defense? You'd be like, yeah, man, uh, that's tough. It's, I'm, I'm reminded of that great Pedro Martinez quote when he got lit up by the Yankees in Yankee Stadium and they were chanting, who's your daddy? He's like, I just tip my hat and call my daddy. Like, that's all you can do at that like, point. Right. You can't scheme for that. And I truly think, like, no. the offense taking such a shift, like – in their ability to go from deep ball or no ball to an efficient buzzsaw of an offense ties to Patrick Mahomes going, doing that same thing. Like he is the most efficient quarterback we've seen. And we've probably seen the NFL. Like we talk about like Drew Brees being an elite processor and passer in the short intermediate area of the field. Patrick Mahomes is doing that while also being able to do all the creative stuff outside of pocket. And Oh yeah, he can still throw the ball a mile. It's just, as long as he is healthy and upright, they are the Super Bowl favorites. It does not matter what happens. I don't have anything to add to this. Um, the only my only like takeaway on Patrick Mahomes, like in terms of things I think that I didn't, I guess maybe like six weeks ago, uh, is a result of watching quarterback. I had never really gotten an up close look at his logo. Um, it's hard to make P and M work. I'll just say that it's the difficult letters. You know, I thought that uh, about Jordan Spieth, uh, the PGA Tour player. His logo is kind of awkward. Um, P and M are really difficult. Some letters just work great. Like Tracy McGrady's logo is one of my all-time favorites. Like you know, some just work very well together. P and M are very, very difficult. So kudos to Adidas uh, for giving it their best shot, but it's not for me. That's all I'll say. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah um okay uh rachel if you could please join us um and let us know any thought that you have any questions that you have any answers that you have uh, really any musings that you may have um things you liked that we oh you found a black hat very well <laughs> uh, uh yeah. awesome uh nice and uh, so now i'm alone um ironically the black sheep like amongst the black hats um but um who won mf double wp and why please Today was such a fun show. You guys definitely killed it. I'm not surprised because you guys are all amazing. Um, I just wanted to touch on some of the points. I love JP's. I think you had the strongest like regression in growth candidates with the Texans and the Chargers out of everybody. So shout out to you for that. I think you did a really, really good job with that one. 
Um, Mark, I think that you crushed it today. I definitely agree with your point. Uh, when you were talking about how in addition to like the Rams uh, defense, you know, just being young and their offensive line, how like their schedule uh, does them no favor. I think that that's really, really valid. Um, also how you can see the uh, Bengals winning three of their first five games. Um, the Saints being having the shot to be the best team in the NFC cell. Uh, and then I also really like your point about Purdy and how he gives the 49ers like just the option to pretty much stay on track, like timeline. And so today it's already on RJ space. I can definitely see it, but I got to give it to Mark. I think that you crushed it today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It is a prestigious honor. I am updating my LinkedIn page as we speak with, with this tremendous accomplishment. But look, these shows are going to be a blast. I'm just happy to be a part. So that's my quick and short speech. Um, congratulations, Mark, obviously. And congratulations, JP, because the two of you at least had things that Rachel liked. I didn't hear anything um, that Rachel liked that I had to say. Um, um, you, I, so... Um, you know, you both got like these glowing, like bullet point reviews in terms of like, oh, this, you know, this was a great thing you said. You know, it's cool. I didn't get the black hat. So you I mean, didn't get really this is you did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, JP, do you have anything to add? Do you want to congratulate Mark yes, like, want, properly? Congratulate Mark. It's definitely coming in looking for a three-peat. But of course, Mark sold the show today. So I'm I'm happy for Mark. I'm happy we get to do this every week. But I am going to. I still have – I have JP's speech recorded from last week. I have to share oh. that. It was, it was a tremendously warm moment touching I am going to be coming for the, for the three-time MVP spot next week. Okay. I'm, I'm glad to be on. I'm glad we're having fun with this. So I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, Mark, um, as we close, um, before we started, you talked about your bookshelf, and we had some, like, talk about how it's like a hidden seller thing, um, kind of like a spy movie. So um, close this out with what is your favorite spy movie and why? Ooh, favorite spy movie. That's really tough. Um, I'm a big fan of the Bourne series. I know it's not technically – he's more assassin than spy, but I'm a big fan of the Bourne series. Um, yeah, I'm going to go there. I love Matt Damon in that role. I thought he did a fantastic job, and I'm a big fan of Bourne, so that's where I'm going. Jesus Christ, Patrick Mahomes is Jason Bourne to kind of land the plane. Um, well done. Okay, uh, let's get out of here. JP, sing us a song. Oh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to do that. <laughs>Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder, wherever you get your podcasts.